You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, episode number 70. We, as always, are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky, and I am joined, as always, and this time in person, it's nice. by Nicholas J. Horwath. How's it going, buddy? The reactions will be faster. This is not only the first time we've recorded in person to, in a long time, it's also the earliest we've recorded in a long time, I think. Ten fifty. We usually shoot for 11 a.m., so it's yes. 10.50 <laughs> on Sunday is when we're actually recording this. The day um, after the Pittsburgh Penguins took on the Montreal Canadiens in Game 1 of the Plains, and yes, we will dive into all of that. <laughs> but a little bit later, we're also going to be joined by Neil Villapiano of the Devil State of Mind <laughs> podcast, and then later we have a couple more segments. We have our Pens Poll, as we do every week now, and we also have a new segment called Shoutouts and Callouts that we're going to introduce to you guys this week. Horat, what you got going? I know you want to say something. Buckle in. It's a long one, and it's a fun one. Neil's a great guy, great guest to have on, and... You know, support him. He's a talker, and he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. And, hey, you know, he's got a book. We'll we'll be talking about that. He's got a book. He might have a new book coming out, too, and so that's going to be interesting. I mean, we talked with Neil about a bunch of things. Of course, we went over the New Jersey Devils, Know Thy Enemy, as we like to do here at the Mm -hmm. tip of the iceberg. Talked about the Devils. We talked about the 2020 COVID Cup playoffs and play-ins, and we even talked about a little bit of baseball. So it's a really good interview. Buckle in for that one. As Horwat said, it's going to be a little bit longer. But we're going to talk about Penn's Habs here. But before we do that really quickly, we do want to mention to you guys that we do have merch. Visit us at tipoftheiceberg.whatforapparel.com. Get your sick-ass merch. That was designed by Caleb Elovich, my beautiful girlfriend. So it was a very, very good couple of months, but I think we can do better. So go visit (laughs) us again at tipoftheiceberg.whatforapparel.com. How about we jump into Penn's Habs, huh? Let's do it for these bug bites we've been getting all weekend start really getting to me. I mean, I'm already itching. But yeah. the first thing that, of course, everybody was talking about, and we talked about for about, oh, I don't know, the entire four <laughs> months that there was no hockey, who's going to start net? So Matt Murray, of course, gets the start as we expected leading up to this. And realistically, overall, how do you think Matt did? I'm, I'm Realistically, I feel like this is a Matt Murray hate-free zone at the moment. Yeah. Other than that second goal, which I think we went over in depth sitting next to each other. <laughs> other than that goal genuinely i'm not mad at matt Matt murray at all i think he played very well he made huge saves all night Mm. we're gonna love some natural sound we also have an audience here today thank you guys that's okay but like i said he made huge saves all night and you can't fault him for it carrie price played i'm convinced he's a trump supporter because the boy loves building walls oh jesus Um, christ i thought of that one this morning before like before you had that loaded up i i was like that's a good one. I'm going to use that. There you go. But, there you go. No, I mean, you can't fault him. Giving up two goals and then going into overtime against a team who was pretty quick. One of them was a bit of a wishy-washy goal. The first one, the second one, you got to have. But, hey, you know what? Huge saves all night. Things just happen. It's only game yeah. one. I'm not going to hate on it yet. Yeah, I mean, we're going to jump in period by period to see what we thought on some of the stuff that happened. But, overall, before we move on from Matt Murray, you start him in game two? Yeah, I think so. I completely agree. I think you stay with him. I think he was really good. Yeah. So it was playoff Matt Murray, peak, 
peak performance playoff Matt Murray. But let's jump into the game. First period, I mean, first of all, it has been four months since we've seen hockey. But it's been even longer since we've seen playoff hockey. And holy shit, the anxiety that I forgot how bad it can get whenever you're watching a playoff hockey game. Especially when your team hasn't won a playoff game since 2018. But that's something that we're going to try to avoid talking about. But what were your feelings when the puck finally dropped on game one? Oh man, it was just, it's finally happening. It's finally here. I know I've been watching hockey all week. I've been watching all these exhibition games to get used to this environment. It just doesn't hit the same, right? But once we start... Once the referees say, hey, it's playoff hockey, the whistles are put away. Oh, yep, no, we're back. It's real hockey again. Uh, People are caring a little more. And, I mean, I think the Hurricanes and the Rangers game showed it. Showed it. There is some blood out here, man. The intensity was high. There wasn't too much in the Penguin-Canadians game, which is strange because Penguins usually get up for playoff games. But just good to have hockey back, win or lose. When the puck dropped, yes, I had anxiety. It was it was quelled a little bit by the fact that the Penguins completely dominated the first five minutes of play. I mean, they had ten shots on goal in the first five minutes, not to mention how many shot attempts that they had. And as you mentioned earlier, Carey Price just stands on his goddamn head mm-hmm. in the first five minutes and throughout the rest of the first period. I think that was the intensity that we saw with the Pittsburgh Penguins was not really with the physicality, but they just controlled the puck, controlled possession, and got opportunities on Carey Price. Couldn't get one past him early on. And then, of course, like you mentioned, kind of a fluky goal for Jasperi Kokniemi. But, I mean, that's going to happen. The shot from mm-hmm. the point bounces off of him somehow. Jack Johnson buries Kokniemi, but it doesn't really matter because the puck's already past Muzz. I don't think he even saw it. That was a hard one. I mean, it was... We didn't notice it go in. I think we just saw reactions because it was such a weird, fluky goal that... I mean, we know it's all bound to happen, but you know I'm not mad at it, and it could have been a worse goal. It, it could have been two goals of the second one. Mm-hmm. Like that second one, I think we can dig into it. Like I mentioned before, yeah, we know Murray's glove it, glove hand isn't the greatest, but I was telling you, you gotta at least raise your glove a little. Yeah. I get you're doing your move to bring it in, but at least a little up a little. That one in particular, he didn't go up at all. It was all to the side. Yeah, no, no raise. it's a lot easier in, in, in the replay when it's in slow-mo that yep. you can really tell the mechanics, but I mean, it, it's really a split second thing. Yeah. And I understand it, that it's just when it's just as a, you know, as the couch potatoes, we are, <laughs> we see that and my Yenzer comes out and says that, but I also do understand it is like the split second of the game, but yeah, you want something better as a fan and as yourself, I'm sure even he could look at that and say, I got to be better. Yeah, I mean, before we even bump into that second period, we're just going to go back really quickly to the first period. The fact that they were on on pace for 54 goddamn shots on Carey Price, and he had not given up literally an inch. Some of those opportunities were grade-A scoring chances. He made it look really easy. Yeah, it's, like, like I said, Carey Price was shutting us down, standing on his head, and just... Being the Carey Price that everyone said is going to be the Canadian's X Factor. Yeah. Well, guess what, guys? He's here. Now we got to beat him. Now we got to learn him. It's like Thanos and the Avengers. It's he, He's coming. Carey Price is coming, and he he did, and he shut us down, and that's why they won. Exactly. So, on that second goal, you mentioned Matt Murray. Yeah. I, I'm kind of more upset at what happened before that, which set Nick Suzuki off. And that yeah. was Brian Dumlin, of all players on the back end. Just stand up at the blue line and turn the puck over flat-footed. So not only do you turn the puck over and they get the two-on-one from exactly where they want it from, you're flat-footed, so you can't even catch up to them. So I, I think that was the big thing on the second goal. Yes, it'd yep. be nice to make see a save, but Murray did make saves all night. I think yep. Brian Dumlin has to be better, especially if he's going to be considered the number one defenseman on this team, which 
he is supposed to be in top pairing, but I think John Marino was the best defenseman on the ice yesterday. Absolutely. I mean, I mentioned, I noticed it in the Flyers exhibition game and then a lot into the Montreal game that he has gotten a lot better at doing defensive-minded things. He's chasing players down before they can get a break. He's passing the puck phenomenally. He's getting to the puck phenomenally. He was around it the entire game, it seemed. Mm-hmm. Every time there was a loose puck, there was number six flying right near it or going toward it. But, I mean, yeah, keep an eye on John Marino for the next few games. I think he's going to keep turning it on. Absolutely. There was even a moment where he had a bad breakout pass, and I was like, come on, what are you doing? And you looked at me, and you're like, is that the first bad thing he's done on game? And I was like, that's the first bad thing he's done since I can remember. And he's like, yeah, let's remember. You literally told me, let's remember he's a rookie. So the fact that he's even only making one play, we got to quell that. But again, playoff hockey intensity. At this point, we're down two to nothing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we're crapping ourselves. We don't have any service up here, so oh, I'm yeah. sure there's a bunch of hockey troll comments that I missed. I'm sh- we ha- I haven't, at least. I don't know if you have. I haven't looked at the sla- our network Slack chat, and I'm sure they are all waiting for us to respond to something. Yeah, I'm not going to. So, <laughs> at that point, it was two to nothing. And then, of course, finally, we need a spark. Who do we get it from? Sidney Crosby banks it off of Carey Price's skate and in, and it's 2-1. to one. Exactly halfway through the game, it's exactly what the Pittsburgh Penguins needed in that point. We found out he was human, and we just had to attack. And kept it going, really, because after that goal, a couple shifts later, we get a power play. Yeah, the power play struggled. It finished 1-7. for seven. That's going to be an issue. Didn't but... convert on a long 5-on-3. Exactly, yeah. That was the hard one. It's and... early in the third period in a tie game, too. You and... really need to convert on that. And it wasn't so much that we didn't convert because we weren't trying. We were ripping shots off, but it's just Carey Price standing on his head. I mean, we don't have the numbers in front. I mean, I don't have... We had over 40 shots on goal that game. I meant, like, on that particular 5-on-3. I don't oh. know how many we took. I can't... We can't really dig in to look for it. <laughs> but for now, from what it seemed for us... That we look, didn't seem like we had it out. I mean, I, our first unit was out there almost the entire five on three, so it's not like we were losing battles and having it be chipped out. It was a good five on three, but saves are being made. That's all there is to it. You got to create more high danger and high opportunity chances. I mean, ripping clap bombs from the circle with Malkin. Yes, I get that he has a lethal mm-hmm. slap shot and a lethal <laughs> one timer, but it's Carey Price, guys. You got to get more creative than just. Pass it to Malkin, slap shot. Pass it to Crosby. He tries to go to the middle of the Gensel. you got to switch it up on the power play. But luckily, in the second period, Brian Russ did convert on the power play. That was the second unit, even. Mm -hmm. And they converted to tie the game. It was a reset. I know that we both exhaled a lot more when we saw that go in. Because, okay, it's 2-2. We've beaten Carey Price twice. We can do it. Get into the third period. Of course, you mentioned the 5-on-3. We talked about that. But what led to the 5-on-3... We have an enemy, and we now have a villain of this series starting out right now, and that's going to be Ben Sherratt. There, we're gonna, I'm going to hate multiple people by the end of the series. He's one of them. Paul Bryan is another. Byron. So I don't, I don't care about your name. Paul Bryan is another. And who, Gallagher I already hated. I can't. Oh, Max Domi. Yeah, Max Domi was being a little bit of a pest, but, I mean, it's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to get in there with his hate. EpiPen, yep. and he's supposed oh. to be a Pain in the ass. That's all he's going to do. So Pain in the thigh, I'd <laughs> oh, say. But yeah, Ben Sherratt specifically because, one, how are you going to cross-check somebody in the face, then turn around and try to chirp them for being dramatic? It was stick on face. stick on jawline. If, if he and was, of course it was Sidney Crosby, which is why we hate him even more. If Crosby was in the middle of falling, it would have been very Matt Niskanen-esque. Let's be real. That's, yeah, it would have been exactly... Well, 
Matt Niskanen's arms were a lot wider, and he kind of, he swung for the fences with his cross check. But Chirots, it was I mean, your hands you're so tall, yeah, but you still had your hands above your shoulders. Like, come on, man. Yeah. And we're not going to complain about it because, of course, it got called. But it's just like, don't be a douchebag. Don't turn around. Whenever you know you did it and then just start crying about the call. But, of course, it doesn't really do anything. Penguins going the 5-1 for 3, we mentioned. Did not score. 1 for 7 on the power play. Montreal looked like they were trying to play physical. But it just came across as dirty. Yeah, it's... They were just behind. A step behind, it seemed all, you know? There was a lot of grabbing and a lot that wasn't called, which is good because it's the playoffs. We don't want that. We saw mm-hmm. the Penguins do it as well. So oh, anybody yeah. that was complaining about some of the calls, which I know I was, but in, in that time, you notice that both teams are doing it. I know we just, you know, praised John Marino for everything he did, but there were two two times I can remember being like, that's a hold on John Marino, but we're going to let it slide because yeah. it wasn't called. The grabbing and holding, I feel like they were letting it go, but it was yeah. stuff that was egregious, like the trips dueling penalty shots one in the third period one in overtime we'll get to the one in overtime but in the third period connor sherry makes a hell of a play yep to just read the play splits up the defenseman and goes straight in on a breakaway he gets hooked or held or whatever they wanted to call it because i really didn't think it mattered it was penalty shot either way and he misses the net well the rest of the third period goes, nothing happens. We go into overtime, of course. Both of our collective hearts just decided to almost burst. I, I was holding a beer against my chest, and I could feel my heartbeat through my beer can, which was, I have never experienced that before. And that was just an intermission. So we get into overtime. We mentioned Jonathan Duran gets a breakaway. Gets held wishy-washy, sure. but it's fair. It's fair, I guess. And we thought Connor Sherry's... Penalty shot was bad. Holy crap. It could have the only way it could have been worse for Jonathan Drouin is if he just Marshan If he pulled a Brad Marshan, exactly what I was gonna say. He just eh, forgot the puck at the, at the red line. But that was that was pretty bad. As far as penalty shots go in a playoff game, those have to be two of the worst in, in NHL history. It, we can at least say Shiri took a got a shot off yeah. while Duran just miss misstepped. Even if he was getting it off, it looked like Murray was there. I will at least say that. Murray was on him. And maybe it was just a little shake, but who cares? Either way, neither of them scored. A lot of chances back and forth. Montreal really controlled that overtime. They came out ready to play in that overtime. They really didn't seem all that dangerous throughout the game. Even when they were up 2 to nothing. it was yeah. like, the Penguins controlled this, though. Like, you got a lucky bounce off of Cockney and then a bad mistake by Dumoulin, and that's what happens. That And it was 2 nothing, just like that. Penguins being the way they are, came back. In that overtime, though, Montreal... It was 11-4 to four at one point in shots. And then, of course, they come down in on the break. A play made defensively by I don't remember exactly who. I know what pairings and what lines were out there. It was our fourth line, and it was our third D pairing that was out there. They tried to cut it to the middle, bounces back. Jeff Petrie comes in, steps up from the defense side, and he just rips a shot that Matt Murray probably didn't see much yeah. of, but it was a perfectly placed shot. Yep. Low blocker side in the six hole right over the pad. Ends it for the Canadiens. They take it. They lead the series one to nothing. And, I mean, what can you say? It was called by Shane Ryan and State of Hoppy, who were both on the Hockey Podcast Network. They came on on episode 68 and 69, nice, respectively, respectively. and nice. And said the same thing. They said Montreal is going to come out and win that first game. But they both fully expect the Penguins to come back and win the series. And so do I, to be completely honest. We for sure know there will be hockey played on Crosby's birthday now. Well, I don't well, want to say no, for sure. 
I spoke too soon, but you there can, should be hockey we can played on Sidney Crosby's birthday. I'm not editing shit out. <laughs> Fair enough. You have a long episode today. Yeah, Carey Price stole this game 100%, though. Like, I mean, that's yeah. that's the story of the game. We expected Carey Price to do this, and he did. He, we knew he was going to steal one, maybe two games. If they won the series, it would be because of him. And so far, so good for him. He stole this game. Yeah, I mean, it was bound to happen, right? For the Penguins... As long as they're the third game of the day in Toronto, which they were on game one, it's not going to be pretty. Nope. None of these games are going to be pretty. It the, the ice was sloppy. You could see it was yeah. bouncing on all the guys on both ends. So it's yeah. fair, but it's just you can expect that kind of just sloppy games. You need short passes to win in these games and to score in these games. And just keep Pepper and Carey Price. Eventually, he's going to break. You saw it in the second period. And then, of course, he collects himself because he's Carey Price. Yep. But... Can he do it for two more games? That's going to be the question of this series going forward is the Penguins set the precedent of we control the pace of play and Carey Price set the precedent of that's fine. You're not scoring. So what changes and what gives that that's going to be the story for games two through hopefully maybe five. Who knows? At least hopefully four. At least four, please. But unless you have any other comments or, or discussions, points from Game 1, I think that's all that I saw in Game 1. What else do you have? I got nothing else, and I don't know if you have. I haven't looked at Twitter yet to see Yinzer's react to Matt Murray being in net. All I can say is, for now, he's still the starter, and going forward, it, he needs to have an egregious loss. And that yeah. one wasn't an egregious loss. Yeah, definitely starting with him in Game 2. Yeah. We both mentioned that earlier in this. But right now, we're going to send it over to our interview with Neil Villapiano, the NVP show, covering the New Jersey Devils 2020 playoffs and some other stuff. So I hope you guys enjoy that, and we'll be right back here afterwards. This episode of The Tip of the Iceberg is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? I may not be a contractor, but even I know that if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. This is why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, featuring advanced skin-safe technology to keep your soldier polished and cut free. If you're like me and like to handle this kind of business in the shower, the Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof and features an LED light, so even guys as blind as I am can see what they're doing. If you are listening to me, you are one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and you too can experience it firsthand. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THPN at manscaped.com. Again, that's code THPN for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. I'm Corey Crenshaw. I'm Richie Suave Flores. And this is Sporty with Corey and Richie Suave. On the Hockey Podcast Network. What did I just listen to? Oh, this game. This game, is, this game is just bullshit now. Oh my gosh. I actually, they actually made me feel uncomfortable. What was it? Panty what? The game has gone to bullshit. Panty melted? Why do we record these during the middle of games? Oh, God. Be sure to listen to Corey and I every Monday. We are your go-to source for the Arizona Coyotes on the Hockey Podcast Network. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network. Your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. 
welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Today we are being joined by a very special guest host, one of the newest hosts of the Hockey Podcast Network. We welcome on to the show, Neil Villapiano. How's it going, buddy? It's it's going great, guys. Uh, first of all, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, having me on. Uh, I'm excited to be here. And I love how this network has constantly gotten my last name correct. Because I've <laughs> mentioned before how like a lot of other podcasts for other sports usually get it wrong the first time or have to ask me up front. But you guys, you know, you nailed it right on the head. So uh, well done. But thank you guys for having me on. I'm, I'm excited, like I mentioned before, to be here. Yeah, well, thank you for joining us. Anybody who doesn't know, Neil is the host of the Devil's State of Mind podcast, covering the New Jersey Devils for the Hockey Podcast Network. You can follow him on Twitter at the NVP Show. So, Neil, thank you for joining us. Of course, you, you said you're excited. We're excited to have you on. This is something that since you joined the network, we were saying, we got to get you on. We got to get you on. We got to get you on. Well, finally, we're getting you on here. Perfect timing is hockey is starting right back up. So I'm excited to have you here. And, and I think, Horwat, you're going to lead us off here with the first question. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first, I just want to say when it comes to last names, you're talking to two people who have had issues with our last names our whole lives. So right. nothing hurt there. But we're going to dig into it with, I mean, obviously you're we're a Devils fan, you're wearing a Devils jersey as we speak over, you know, Zoom right now, and, yep. you know, you have the Devils show on the network, but I have to say, like, it seems like on paper, the Devils have one of the best lineups, but it hasn't really panned out, and I was like, what changes could be made, or that you want to see made to improve this team that should be a pretty good team? That's a really good question. Um, I would say prior to, obviously, what happened with the hiring of Lindy Roth as the head coach and then officially making Tom Fitzgerald the general manager, um, I, I would pretty much say that I think the Devils need another one or two, you know, wingers to kind of help out with Jack Hughes on the second line. I think it's clear, it's perfectly clear that Nico Heeshear is our number one centerman. You know, Jack Hughes definitely can be that second line centerman. We need some wing support. Uh, maybe a guy like Evgeny Dadinoff or Mike Hoffman. You know, or if you want to throw somebody crazy out there, maybe try to make a big trade for someone like, you know, Patrick Laine. You know, I've heard that thrown around a couple of times. But I think the main thing is simply going to be, where are we going to go with the defense? Are we going to go free agency-wise, or are we just going to develop through our system in the draft? And I think with the additions of, getting, of having Ty Smith as our number one prospect, top defenseman, we have Kevin Ball now in the trade from, you know, for Taylor Hall. You know, I, I think that we have an opportunity to build our defense and make it one of the younger defenses in the NHL and just build it from the back end up, I guess you would call it. Um, and so I think that would be the, the number one thing. But I would say probably the thing I think about the most out of everything is simply that, you know, who is going to be the devil's backup goaltender? Are we going to go with Corey Schneider and just let him play out the rest of his contract? He did show a lot of, you know, the Corey Schneider of old, during the second time he got called up just before, you know, we had the work stoppage. Um, if he could still play that way, I would love to have him be the backup. If not, is Gil just send ready to take over that next role and be, you know, the young backup. And we have two young talented goaltenders, you know, as, as our tandem, you know, it, it, that's a, that's a great question. And there were expectations this year that didn't go our way for numerous reasons that I've talked about before, especially about a coach whose name I will not mention because um, <laughs> I'm tired of it. And I wish him no luck whatsoever with Nashville in the postseason. But anyway, um, th there was a lot of things that went wrong. I think anything you could have thought of to go wrong did go wrong for us. 
Uh, and what's good is that we finally, you know, accepted that we are a rebuilding team and now we're taking that first major step towards that. Yeah, and a big part of that is what you mentioned, taking off that interim tag of Tom Fitzgerald and him really telling everybody, hey, listen, it's going to be a few years. And I've heard you mention it. They finally admitted that they are in a rebuild. And then, of course, they go out and hire Lindy Ruff, which was a little bit of a surprise to everybody who was thinking of who they were going to pick. So what were your thoughts whenever that initially happened? And also, as I heard a couple weeks back, does it change your opinion at all hearing that Lindy Ruff is a big TikTok guy? Well, first of all, I didn't know that. Uh, thank you for sharing that with me. Uh, frankly, I don't care because I'm not a big TikTok guy myself. Uh, okay. I do have an account, but I just watch them. I just, I, I basically do it to uh, stay up to date with the memes that go out in this world. <laughs> That's probably the biggest reason that I have it. Um, but anyway, no, you know, I was one of the few Devils fans that was okay with the hiring of Lindy Rowe. I was surprised because of the other candidates that were out there, Peter LaViolette, Gerard Gallant. But once we heard the reasoning as to why Lindy Ruff was hired, it made a lot of sense to me. And it's not a bad hire at all. It's not like we hired somebody who has no experience whatsoever, has not led a team to a Stanley Cup final. You know, no, we have a very experienced coach, one of the winningest head coaches that's still in the business today. And the thing that I will defend that a lot of Rangers fans and probably Andy as well is that, oh, he did such a poor job with the defense. Well, Lindy Ruff is not a defensive coach. He never has been. He's been an offensive coach. He did that in Buffalo. He really helped develop both Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan's game in Dallas. And he's going to do a lot with the offense that the Devils have. We have a young core of talented, you know, scorers in Nico, Jack Hughes, Jesper Brett, Nikita Gusev, Kyle Palmieri. You know, and then we have guys that are coming through the fold, you know, Michael McLeod, if he can finally score a goal in the NHL, which I feel like he might be one of the most unlucky players to have ever played for the Devils simply because he can't, you know, find a way to score. You know, we have a guy like Graham Clark who has a lot of high expectations. Patrick Moynihan, you know, down with Providence, he's really developed this game. And I think in, a, you know, another year he could really be something in the National Hockey League. But yeah. The Devils hired an offensive-minded coach, and I'm very happy about that because he who shall not be named was a defensive coach, and he had a defensive system that didn't work for a team that lacked defense. It just backfired, and the team made the playoffs in 2018 despite him, and as a result, you saw what happened this year and why he got fired. He deserved it, should have never been hired in the first place, but to kind of go back to answering your question there, Basically, I was, pretty, I was pretty positive about it. Once I also understood that, look, Gerard Gallant didn't want to coach the Devils, and Peter Laviolette wanted a lot of money, more money than any of the other coaches, which told me his heart wasn't fully into wanting to be the head coach of the Devils. Lindy Ruff immediately was like, I want, to, I want this job. I want, to be, I want to help here. And also, I will say this. There was a chance that he could be a placeholder for a coach that we bring in, in in two or three years that helps us take to that next step of being a Stanley Cup contender. That could be a possibility as well. I think we need to give him an opportunity. I think he's proven himself as a very successful head coach, and I'm very, very optimistic about you know his time, hopefully a relatively long time, with the New Jersey Devils. So you see him really as like the development coach to help, especially a player like Jack Hughes, who is only in his second year and still only, what, 19 years old next season? 
So you're looking for him to probably help those guys on the offensive side, which is good, especially considering if you look at the rest of the Metropolitan Division, it is a very offensive division. And it's a very high-flying, high-speed division that other than maybe the Islanders and the Blue Jackets, every team is really just run and gun. Even the Washington Capitals, who are a little bit older, play that high-speed, high-scoring game. So I think what you're mentioning there about Lindy Ruff just trying to get the offense going for a New Jersey team that hasn't really shown it at all really in the past half a decade maybe, it's going to be important, I, I think. And I agree with you that it, he's probably a really good decision in that aspect. Without a doubt, without a doubt. It simply comes back to this team for many years, especially in, you know, the early 2010s, you know, to that, basically 2010s. This team had solid defense, really good goaltending, but very little offense. Now it's like it's almost everything's been flipped around. Now we have really good offense that could score three, four, five goals a game. Our defense needs some work, and we need help in the goaltending, at least just from the backup perspective. So you nailed it right on the head. It, the Metropolitan Division is the highest scoring division in the NHL. I think if I saw a statistic that they lead the NHL by 50-some-odd goals over every other division when it comes to, you know, the total amount of goals that the teams have scored throughout this past season. So it's clear – that this division is basically about putting the puck in the back of the net. And the Devils have guys that can do that. So now it's about developing the players that we have to make them even better than they are right now. Yeah, and that's even with the the offensive, abysmal, bottomless pit that is the Islanders right now. Oh, boy. I, you know, you know they, they actually you know, they, they play in like an hour and a half. And, and I think that's going to be their biggest question is that they, can they score? You know, can they mm-hmm. find the back of the net? Is it just going to be Matt Barzell and Anders Lee carrying the load? Or is other guys like Gabriel Pajot, who was brought to the Islanders to score, you know, help them out? And also adding Andy Green from, you know, via trade from the Devils will help because he has some playoff experience. He's a veteran. He's a former captain. So I, I think that that was a good move. but. The Islanders need help offensively, no question about it. I mean, the Islanders found a way to score last playoffs. I mean, odds are they can figure out a way to do it again. Scoring is obviously a big part of the game as well. And, I mean, I haven't been able to get a read on you guys both just mentioned them. Nico Heischer or Jack Hughes, because they're still young and obviously still developing. But I want to know what you think, what kind of players can they turn into? I know you mentioned one-two punch, but further than that, like, is there a comparison like a Malkin and Crosby type deal where it's a one-and-two like that? I don't necessarily have a comparison at the moment with Jack Hughes only because he's played less than a full season in National Hockey League. So it's a little bit tougher. And there were times where he, you know, because he's learning and also he's gone through so much adversity his first year. Team blows a 4 nothing lead in the first game of the season, loses a week later something like 8-1 to to Buffalo. Your head coach gets fired. Your general manager gets fired. Your franchise player at the time gets traded. You know, everything's just going crazy. And then to top it all off, you don't even finish the entire regular season. So it's harder for me to look at it. But when I look at Nico Heischer, I have a longer track record with him. I compare him a lot to Patrice Bergeron. This is why I think that Nico can be a future Selkie Trophy Award winner. He has an opportunity to be a great two-way centerman, a guy that can really, you know, be a catalyst for your power play. I think he's done a really good job of developing his face-off percentage it, it, as you can see, it definitely increases over every single year. And I have to give a lot of credit to Travis Zajac because Travis Zajac statistically is one of the top centermen when it comes to face-off percentages in the NHL today. I think that would be something that would catch a lot of Devils fans and also hockey fans in general by surprise. But 
Nico has fully embraced being with the Devils. He signed that major seven-year extension. He wants to be, you know, the face of this franchise. That's basically what he is now. Now that Taylor Hall is gone, it's Nico's team, whether people want to say it is or not. And I think Nico is definitely a, a guy that could be a lot like Patrice Bergeron, that can win several Selkie trophies and be considered a very valuable and super talented two-way sentiment. I'm looking for the Swiss Army Knife t-shirts to come out now. <laughs> uh, that, you know, we were talking about that. You see, that's the thing. Like, a lot of us Devils fans, we tend to think about these things because sometimes we don't have anything better to talk about, <laughs> especially right now during um, it's off-season, if you want to call it that. Um, you know, we were talking about it. And, you know, Nico actually played in a Swiss uh, prospect scrimmage earlier this afternoon, uh, also with Gil just said, another Devils uh, goalie prospect. And, you know, that, you know, we were talking about something like that. Like, yeah, Swiss Army Knife. That would be really – like, it would make perfect sense. Mm -hmm. It just – like, especially because now we know that Nico Heischer basically is in the Army, and it's only a matter of time, in my opinion, until he becomes the captain of this team. Yeah, he definitely has those leadership qualities, especially being a military man now. But another player that – along those lines that I want to get a little bit of a better read on – is Nikita Gusev, because you guys won those sweepstakes last year. And, of course, everybody in New Jersey really, really was saying, bring Nikita Gusev here. We want him in New Jersey. And then it happened. Not very often do you see that happen. And, of course, he comes out, plays fairly well in his first season, coming on to North American ice, putting up 44 points, being second on the team. How good do you think he can be in the league moving forward? Do you see him reaching Artemi Panarin heights? Or do you think that he's he's probably going to be in the 60 to 70 category you know that's a great question I'm, I'm really glad you brought this up too because i haven't had a lot of chance to talk about nikita gusev i've never seen a fan base be able to persuade an organization to get a specific player i know that obviously the devil's organization won't admit it but i think it's true that us as a fan base we were pushing it every day the minute that we heard the rumor was the minute that we pushed it every single day that you know let's get gusev we need to get gusev look how talented he is in the khl with a wider ice rink. And, you know, the KHL is not, you know, some schmuck league. It's the second toughest and best league in, in the world for hockey other than the National Hockey League. And we got the best player in that league, and we didn't really give up very much for him. We signed a two-year deal with him, and I think that we are going to extend him or we'll just give him a contract at the end of this upcoming season because even though Gusev is on the higher side of his 20s, you know, getting close to 30 – He's still a guy that can be productive for another four, five, six years. And if you were to ask me, I definitely can see a Artemi Panarin-like player out of Gusev because he has a very dangerous shot. See, the thing, the reason the Devils got him in specifically was because of his goal-scoring ability. This guy was the top goal scorer in the KHL for two of the past three seasons before he came to the National Hockey League, and he was far and away the top player in that league. And He's, you know, he struggled early on for multiple reasons. One, you got to get accustomed to NHL ice and the way that the game is played in the National Hockey League. Two, he who shall not be named did a very poor job of allowing him to just play hockey. He had an uncanny ability to make it so that the players somehow forgot how to play hockey. It, it, was, it was incredible. To the point where he's getting benched every other game, and every time he comes back in the lineup, he scores a goal. But once... That man got fired. Elaine Nasruddin did a really good job of just allowing him to play the way he was capable of. 
And he made so many other players around him better. You know, there was that, there was that line of Travis Ajak, Blake Coleman, and Gusev that would score game in and game out and be this productive line. Then when Coleman got moved, it was a line of Pavel Zaka, Jesper Bratt, and Nikita Gusev. And he was still putting up points. And basically now, he's the only player on our team that has multiple nicknames. You got Goose. You got the Magic Man. I call him the Russian Rifle. That's my personal favorite. But, you know, <laughs> he is, a, he is a, an incredibly talented player. And a player that I have not seen have that much talent since, I hate saying this, Ilya Kovalchuk which I try really hard not to want to flip out when I say that name. Um, but he has that goal-scoring ability. And I think now that he's gotten relatively a full year of NHL hockey, I think now he's going to blossom and really take that next step into being much more of a goal-scoring threat. He can still distribute the puck better than anybody on this team, but he's just going to add that goal-scoring ability like he had in the KHL, and he's going to be a force. I think he definitely has the chance to be your top left winger or right winger because you can put him on either side and he still has success. And so I think the future is bright. And I think the Devils made the right choice to acquire him last, basically. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned Gusev because one year ago today is when the Devils traded and acquired Nikita Gusev. So this is the one-year anniversary of the Gusev move. Timing at its finest. That's what, that's what we do here at the tip of the iceberg. You guys are good. You guys are good. <laughs> there you have that. But, I mean, also going forward, it's going to be a different offseason. I feel like especially because I mentioned that this team is so good on paper and needs and moves kind of should be made, it seems. But who are the most important players that need to be re-signed that are already on the team or let go by the Devils? You know, when it comes to players that need to be re-signed, the two guys that we immediately talk about are Jesper Bright and Mackenzie Blackwood. They're both restricted free agents. Uh, Todd Fitzgerald already said he's been speaking nonstop with their agents. I think that before next season starts, they're going to work out deals with both of them. Uh, so with that standpoint, we'll be fine and we'll lock up guys. Kyle Palmieri is going to be on the last year of his contract. I think that what the Devils will do is let him play out the year, see where the season's going, see how he's playing. And then if they want to keep him, they'll sign him to a long-term deal, which will probably keep him in New Jersey the rest of his career. Cause Paul Mary, being from New Jersey, he says he wants to help this team get to that point of being a talented, competitive team once again. And Kyle Palmieri is a great story because he got traded from Anaheim to New Jersey. He was a fourth-line guy. His first year on New Jersey, he puts up 30 goals. The next year, 27-28. And then this year, he was on pace to possibly chase a 30-goal season again. So Kyle Palmieri has developed into a very, very talented scoring winger. I know that the Bruins particularly were willing to give a lot for Kyle Palmieri during the trade deadline. But I love what Tom Fitzgerald said when he was asked why he didn't trade Kyle Palmieri. He said, why do I want to trade a 30-goal scorer? You don't get those very often. It just doesn't happen all the time. So you want to keep that talent. And that's why I was happy that he did because also Palmieri has term. He would, have, he would have had, you know, contract rights with the Boston Bruins for next season. So it makes a lot of sense in many different ways that Kyle Palmieri stays on this team, and I expect the Devils to keep him long-term, but things could certainly change within the next, you know, 12 months. When, you know, when we're here next, you know, next summer, we'll see what happens. But 
you know, Fitzgerald wants to be young. He wants to, he wants to have a young, talented team. And I think he's going to give a lot of us, our young prospects an opportunity to make the NHL roster. I mean, what do you think of also a guy like P.K. Subban going forward, coming off the worst season of his career yeah. and being worth $9 million? I mean, from my perspective, he's personally a guy that I've never really liked as a player. Phenomenal personal personality guy for the league, but just as a player, I just watched this decline, and it looked like a train wreck this year. Basically, he's yeah. asking uh, how much of that $9 million is going just towards his Instagram followers and not actually his on-ice production. <laughs> Oh, geez. You know, I kind of figured this question was going to come up because a lot of people have been asking me about it. First of all, 18 points, that is putrid to say the least. I mean, I did not personally expect him to be that bad. Um, Again, I want to put some blame on the coaching for that because I've defended that P.K. Subban has never been a defensive defenseman. Like if you, whether he was in Montreal or Nashville, what is he known for? That big slap shot being the number one defenseman on the power play being that guy exactly doing that celebration the arrow and everything (laughs) that's what he's known for and when he was given that opportunity to be that type of player with the devils he showed it if you don't believe me just go to when the islanders played the devils in the nassau coliseum he scores right off a face off on the right side on a power play he just unloaded the shot and for a moment had no shot had no prayer of stopping it you put him in that position where he's comfortable he'll succeed so do I feel that that trade was bad? Yes and no. Because, again, Jeremy Davies is a guy that is still unknown. He did very well at Northeastern and I think had the chance to definitely become an NHL player, and maybe he will in Nashville. Steven Santini, he's a third-line defense, third you know, defensive pairing guy, and I'm not wild about him. He did have an opportunity, many opportunities, but he just never seemed to stick in the lineup consistently. So at the end of the day, and then they also gave up, I think, two first, two second round picks that they had from last offseason. So it wasn't bad until you saw that he was making $9 million, which obviously the Predators used to get Matt Duchesne. So it worked out, I think, in my opinion, it's worked out so far for Nashville. I think that P.K. Subban is going to be used in a different way, especially off the ice as a leader, as one of the guys that is a vocal player a guy that's a good motivator. He certainly has brought a different type of energy to the young players on this Devils team. Everybody really enjoys playing with him and being around him. So I think the Devils will probably try to keep him. Um, if not, he'll probably end up being one of the guys not protected in the Seattle expansion draft. I think that's the number one guy that a lot of us expect. But if he could have a bounce back season this year, I think the Devils will try to keep him. I could see PK Subban rocking that Kraken jersey. Wouldn't look too bad there. I don't know if I, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say as I'd buy that. But I mean, hey, when there's a guy that's lifting with Dwayne the Rock Johnson, yeah, I mean that was pretty. Uh, that was pretty awesome to wake up uh, yesterday morning and see that. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. PK, PK wants to be as big as possible for next season. He is fully preparing to try to become the PK Subban that we've known before. Listen, PK is a large human being. He he's pretty built, but. Next to The Rock, he looked like Kevin Hart. Yeah, yeah. that's what I, I was saying. That a lot of people were saying, like anybody who who stands next to Dwayne The Rock Johnson, even if they're massively jacked, looks like they've never lifted a weight in their life compared to him. Like that's his life. That's basically other than doing movies. That's The Rock's job, basically, to go and lift weights and motivate people. I mean, shit. Whenever you have like a pop up tent 
of freaking weights called the Iron Paradise that just follows you from city to city, then I'm pretty sure that you have a brand. Right, exactly. And that's <laughs> what that's what he is. So I like watching PK constantly working out and staying in really good shape. And that's important because number one, like you mentioned, he's making $9 million. He's the highest paid player on the Devils right now. He has an obligation to try to bounce back for next season. And I, and I think he will. I think now that he's gotten through that season, he, he likes being in New Jersey. I think he's really appreciated playing for the Devils. And, you know, I, I think that he will get the opportunity to bounce back. And I think Lindy Ruff, being the coach that he is, understands the type of player that PK is. And I think he's going to give him that opportunity. Let's move it a little bit to the future of the New Jersey Devils here. You guys, of course, have the seventh overall pick in the 2020 draft. What area do you hope that they address with that pick? You know, that's a really good question because we're in a situation where one of those players that you expect to go in the top five could somehow fall to seven. And then you're like, okay, do we go position need or do we go best player on the board? And I mentioned this before because I did a podcast episode about this two weeks ago on the Devil's State of Mind where I said, look, there's two guys like Marco Rossi and an even longer shot, you know, Tim Stutzel, who could possibly fall. You never know. You know, you have Lucas Raymond. You have Alexander Holtz. You have wingers who are offensively gifted. And if they're there at number seven, you know, it's hard-pressed not to want to take them. But I think that most likely if the guys go the way that we're proje they're projected to go – I think that most likely they'll go defenseman, and it's probably going to be either Sanderson or, you know, I can't really think of anyone else. I mean, Byfield could be a possibility if he's there. But, again, there's just – there's so much uncertainty with everything right now. And once we get to the draft, look, no, there's going to be very little scouting because there's going to be no combine, no person-to-person -person interviews. It's yeah. going to be a completely different way of evaluating and – you know, scouting these players that somebody could slip through to seven that the Devils would be stupid and stupid not to take. So my guess is that they'll most likely go position need uh, if everything goes the way that it's projected to go. So I expect them to go defensemen, maybe two or three wingers, knowing how the Devils do things. They'll draft the goalie in the sixth round who's like six foot seven and <laughs> 235 pounds and will play in the ECHL because uh, they do this every year, for all we know, they might trade one of those first-round picks that we possibly could have. So, you know, everything could, could change. But that I, I would say probably positional need is the direction that I expect the team to go with once the draft happens, especially at number seven. Listen, if either Los Angeles at two or Ottawa at three pass up on Tim Stutzla, I will be – completely shocked and I will be yelling at Shane and I'm sure Shane will be yelling knowing Shane he'll be yelling already so Shane will, Shane will break his monitor and then he'll he'll message me and be like yo I need to come on your podcast again and crap on this piece of garbage organization for the umpteenth time I'm sick of it like that's what he does like he comes on my he comes on my podcast and just wants to say I freaking hate this team I'm sick and tired of not doing certain things I love that he jumps on your podcast to shit on Ottawa but he has an Ottawa podcast I give him the platform see this is what I do I like to give people the platform to express <laughs> oneself so that's what I do when when we when we watch the draft lottery and do not start smiling because there's no way you guys are getting the number one overall pick. Well, I hope um, 
<laughs> no, you're not getting it because you're gonna beat you're gonna beat Montreal. It's yep. not gonna happen. Yep. It's gonna it's not gonna happen. But I remember when the draft lottery happened and all of you guys were on the group chat just going, I knew this was gonna happen. We knew it was gonna happen. We just didn't want to believe it, but it happened. Shane goes, put me on the damn episode right now. So I so I Zoom called him and like I didn't even intro. He just goes, I'm done. I'm freaking done. I'm sick of this. I knew this was going to happen, and I hate the NHL. It's a BS league, like all these things. And I, and it was just like, I'm not going to say anything. Say what you need to say, and then I'll intro you in. Like, that's how we'll start. And that's how it was when I was uh, with him and Bayou when I first, you know, jumped on the network. That was pretty much it. No intro, just press play, go. Let's have a debate for a half hour, and then we'll intro. Oh, gotta yeah, love those Shane. are the good ones. You get some <laughs> pure you. entertainment out of that. But well, hey, you know that's that's why I have them on a bunch because that you know entertainment value there. That's great stuff. But I mean, you seem very confident in this team, no matter what position they're in. So going forward, do you think this team can be a real contender in the near future rather than the far? Near future, I do think so. If we can, if we can just make our defense a little bit better, if we can make it a little bit better in the near future, then yeah. Because I think offensively, we have a team capable of scoring three, four, five goals a game and being relatively competitive. We have a lot of confidence in Mackenzie Blackwood. He showed it last year, albeit averaging like fifty shots a game because we couldn't block anything worth a damn. And for a while there. He, he was the only goalie that was playing literally every game because Schneider was stinking up the joint. Louis Domingue was arguably one of the worst backup goaltenders I've ever seen in the history of hockey. Gil just said had like one and a half games and then somehow got sent down. So Blackwood had no help. But I still hope that he doesn't regress, which I don't think he will. He's still very young, and we can go from there. But I think if you add a little bit of help on defense and make it a little bit more middle of the pack, this team could be competitive in a year or two, you know, just being a playoff contender. As far as a Stanley Cup contender, you got to wait another three or four years because we got to let more of our prospects develop. we got to see how some of the younger guys on the team already are developing and just go from there. So I do think, to answer your question, that this team can be competitive within the next year or two if we make – some tweaks here and there you mentioned blackwood a lot and before the season before we were even tip of the iceberg we had a, a separate just random podcast that i think only got like six or seven episodes in before dylan swooped us out of obscurity but we were talking about uh, we were talking about young goaltenders and we talked specifically about mackenzie blackwood Catahat. And Thatcher Demko. And we had the conversation, conversation of... Wait, did you really just say it like that? Did you say <laughs> Carter Hart's name legitimately like that? No, I purposely just made... Like, Carter Hart is his name. I said Katahat just because... No, of that's why... I was saying, like, <laughs> I just want to make sure I heard that right. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's not my original accent, but uh, we're good with All right, that. Gotcha. But, Thank God but, it's not your original accent over there. <laughs> oh, that would be fun. I'd like to hear... Yeah, that, I would have been interested to hear that. <laughs> They're calling but, water, water, and it just gets weird. I mean... Yeah, right. Yeah, and like in Wawa over sheets and some stupid stuff like that. I don't know. But uh, we both mentioned that we liked Blackwood a little bit more than we liked the other two. And personally, I mean, I think he played just as good, if not better, than than Katahat this year. But it's just the team in front of him wasn't the same. So I, I think you have a really good goaltender there. And somebody that's finally been able to be a number one that will establish himself the first time probably since Brodeur has been there, right? 
absolutely. Look, I like to use the goaltender position like the running back position in football. A running back is only good is only as good as his offensive line. There are some players in NFL history that were able to do well despite an offensive line. You know, Gale Sayers, Barry Sanders. Maybe if you want to say Saquon Barkley, you could if you wanted to throw him in there. But, you know, with Martin Berdura, like the classic thing has always been like, oh, he had such a great defense. That's why he's not considered one of the greatest goaltenders of all time. Well, he's broken every single record you can think of. He just has one fewer Stanley Cup than Patrick Waugh, who, by the way, had he beaten Patrick Waugh, would have one more Stanley Cup than him. But that's besides the point. Yes, the Devils had some Hall of Fame defensemen. Niedermeyer, Stevens, Danica. You know, they had great defensemen. Mackenzie Blackwood, albeit would make some great saves and keep the team in it, the defense can all, you know, you can only save so many shots and your defense has to get in front and try to create some traffic and make it more difficult for a pl- for your opponents to, get, you know, to score a weak goal or a screen goal or whatever you want to say. That was why I defended Corey Schneider for several years while people were saying, he sucks. Why did we trade for him? We gave up Bo Horvat in theory for Corey Schneider, as Shane wants to say. You know, it, it's things like that. Well, Corey Schneider statistically was one of the top goaltenders for a period between 2014 and 2017. He just didn't win very much because the team couldn't score and they would lose two to one, one to nothing, three to two. Now he has some offense, but his defense is crap. And as a result, he has struggled at times. And you're seeing it also now with Mackenzie Blackwood. So if the defense of the Devils can improve, Mackenzie Blackwood will continue to play well. They'll start winning some games because of Blackwood. And they'll start winning some games that Blackwood may not have a good game, but the offense picked them up and we won 5-4. to four. And, and, and the win, win-loss record and the stats itself will start to be more obvious to say, yeah, he is that good. And I agree with you. I personally think that, you know, and maybe because I'm biased here, but I personally think that Mackenzie Blackwood is better than Catahat. If you want to say it like, you know, I don't, I, I'm not wild about him. He didn't look that good against the Penguins, in my opinion, yesterday. But again, that's just me. But I think Mackenzie Blackwood has the potential to be a very, very talented goaltender for years to come if he's given the right tools to succeed. We'd like to thank you, first of all, for coming on. But we have a couple more questions really quickly. I know you've already given us a lot of time. But when this comes out, the first couple days of the plans will have already happened, of course. But what are you personally expecting as far as this postseason goes? And who do you see as the favorites right now to take the COVID Cup? I call it the Rona ring. Um, that's oh, my, oh my I, I feel like I they're trying that. to get the Rona ring. You know? that's, I love uh, it. I mean, you've been- you could call that with any sport that's playing right now, like NBA, Major League Baseball. You can call whatever you want. But um, hmm, this this is you know I, I give this a lot of thought. I would say that when it comes to the playoffs itself, it's going to be weird, and it was already weird just seeing no fans. But after five minutes, you just realize it's just hockey. It's the same game that we've been watching for for you know years and years and years. And I think we're going to see a lot of really close games. It already seems like some teams and some players in particular, Nathan McKinnon, like today, just going absolutely insane and being ready to go right away. And I said this before, the teams that are the most ready to go when this thing gets underway are going to have the most success once we start the playoffs and go through them. 
So that's what I expect. I expect a lot of games to be close, competitive. I expect there to be some some cheap hits, like I saw today with uh, with Tom Wilson being an idiot, like he usually is. I expect there to be some competitive games. As far as who, who I think could do it, I have a few. So like it's it's been hard to make a prediction because with this year being so unpredictable, you could literally pick anybody and nobody would think that you're wrong because it could happen. But in the Western Conference, the three teams that I think of are Vegas, Chicago, and probably Colorado. Those are the three teams I think could be the ones that could really make some noise. The reason I didn't pick St. Louis is because their defense, albeit is still very good, I think has some holes later on, not just Petrangelo and Colton Pareko, but if their defense is not fully 100%, you know, I, I'm, I'm skeptical because even though Jordan Bennington had a great year last year, is he going to be able to repeat it this year? The way hockey gods usually do it is that eventually the game humbles you. It does give you some experience to say, okay, well, now I know to not think that way in the future. But, you know, again, who knows? In the Eastern Conference, <laughs> everybody's going to laugh because I think I might be the only one that's picking them. But... I got to go with Columbus. I have this sneaky suspicion that the Blue Jackets are going to go into this and say, well, we knocked out Tampa in four last year. Who says we can't go to Toronto and kick everybody's ass? I mean, we can't. I mean, can we do that? Why not? We, we've done it before. And John Tortorella is a playoff coach. And he pushes his players well beyond their capability. They lost Panarin. And thank God they lost Bobrovsky to free agency. And there are much, at times, they look like a better team than they were last year. And now that they get Seth Jones back, you have a goaltending tandem with, you know, with Elvis Merzlikens being arguably one of the most surprising storylines of the National Hockey League, an offense that can score two or three goals a game and really be a tough physical team to face. I, you know, I would like to see. Columbus go to the final. I'm fine with it. I heard Eddie Olchek say, oh, I got Dallas. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll go with Columbus. You know what? Let's just throw it out there. Anybody but, and no disrespect to you guys, anybody but the Penguins, the Flyers, the Rangers, and Vegas, I'm fine. I don't really care either way. It's anybody's guess, but that's mine. That's my prediction. I can agree with a lot of that. And I'd like, I mean, I think the Columbus, Blue Jackets make it before the Stars do, but that's just me. Thank you. <laughs> like, Thank you. The no, Stars are- Dallas is an offensive-minded team. Are they built defensively? Heiskanen, but that's it. What is their goaltending situation? Can Ben Bishop stay healthy? <sighs> He's proven he can't. Is is um what a Hudobin? Is he going to somehow pull a Jordan Bennington year out of him? To uh, I mean, and I don't know. I just I'm not a big proponent of going with like, oh, I want Dallas. Why, why do we want Dallas? Just because it's random? If you want to go random, go Columbus. That's random. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Dallas, first of all, Dallas isn't the team it used to be with Madonna and Mara way back in the day. First right. of all. Second, I don't see Dallas anymore as this team that's like always at the top, always winning games. But here they are in the round robin, not a playing game. So I don't know where to place them at any point ever because they're so quiet all the time. Yeah. But, I mean, I at least know of Columbus. I know what they can do. We've seen it last year. But I just always figure Dallas is never really the greatest team. But apparently they're doing better than I always imagined. 
So I, mean, I can see Columbus over Dallas, but I don't know about anyone else. We're talking about a team that was also one shot away, one inch away from taking out the Blues in last year's playoffs in double overtime. Then they got Rupe Hints gets another year of experience. They add Joe Pavelski, when, which when you want to talk about playoff performers, Joe Pavelski's a playoff performer. I know you got something. To be, fair, to be fair, he has struggled somewhat in Dallas because I don't personally believe he's he's happy being there. Because look, the Sharks had two choices. Either you give Eric Carlson the money that he wanted mm. or you bring back Pavelski. And they which one with, I would have chosen. And it wasn't I would have chosen one. Pavel. I personally would have chosen Pavelski over Eric Carlson because Absolutely. Joe Pavelski is one of the best tip pucking, you know, puck tipping, excuse me, players I've ever seen in my life. And he is a dominant player. And I will state this, and people might shoot me, but I actually have two teams that I'm a fan of in the NHL. Uh, the San Jose Sharks are the other one. So I have a personal problem with Pavelski ending up leaving to go. I mean, he went to Dallas, which didn't anger me. Had he gone to, like, Vegas, I would have been like, okay, no, you really, like, have all the teams to go to, you want to go there. You know, when Pete DeBoer became the head coach in, in Vegas, I was like, well, if you can't beat him, make him your head coach. Why not? You got nothing to lose. And speaking as a Devils fan, it's like, dude, he's going to take you to the cup final in, like, the first year or two that he's there, and then that's just going to be the highlight of the entire experience. But, you know, Joe Pavelski is a playoff veteran. He is a leader. If he can help that team, sky's the limit. But that defense, other than Heiskanen and then the suspect goaltending, I don't see how you could really say, oh, yeah, Dallas is definitely a Stanley Cup contender out of the West. Well, you got St. Louis. You got, you got Chicago, which I think has way more experience in the recent years when it comes to Stanley Cup contention than most teams. You know, you got Colorado. I think Winnipeg is a little bit better than the Dallas Stars, but they have a really weak defense. But, again, it's 2020. Literally anything can happen. I already projected that somehow the Mets were going to go to the World Series this year because why not? I think the Denver Nuggets are going to play in the NBA Finals this year. That might happen. Out of all the predictions, that might be the one I might be the closest to being right. A couple things. One, if Columbus does do this, you're on record, and we will praise you to, to all everywhere that you picked it. You're the first one that I at least heard. And I'm, I'm going to buy an Elvis Merzlikens Stanley <laughs> Cup jersey and wear it every freaking day because <laughs> I just want madness. I want chaos. I want people to say Columbus, Ohio is a Stanley Cup champion. Really? <laughs> all right. Cool. Let's – why not? Why not? Yeah. Shoot, man. You know, the Capitals won the Cup two years ago. The Blues won their first Cup last year. The Pens won back-to-back before that. Let's just keep going. There we go. Talk about 2016 if you're going to bring that up. And I was (laughs) there for that. Fun fact, I was at Game 4, and I was pissed off because you guys, of all the teams, the Sharks to play with an opportunity to finally get over the hump to win the Cup, they played the freaking Penguins. And I knew they weren't going to win that series because Crosby and those boys somehow just pull it out of their ass, even if they're not as good as you think they are. And 2017, did anybody think they were going to win the cup? I mean, I thought they were going to get knocked out. But no, they end up winning it again. And who do they play? Freaking Nashville. (laughs) Oh, I'm so scared when they played. I was shivering in my skates over here 
wondering how the hell is Crosby, Malkin, Kessel, Patrick freaking Hornquist gonna gonna beat the Nashville Predators in the Stanley Cup Finals? Oh, I mean, it's like, but yeah, I mean, the Penguins have won two in a row, which I don't hate the Penguins because they have the worst record in the history of the Prudential Center. Just saying. yeah, yeah. Um, but if it wasn't for you guys. We would have been in the 2014 playoff and not Montreal. So thank you for winning a game you didn't need to win, which I appreciate very much. You just have to thank Malkin. He was the only one that played that game anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every, no, Crosby was like, no, I'm good. You, you can do it. And it's like, yeah, because Crosby doesn't score at the Prudential Center, except one time when he knocked the puck out of midair because only he can do that. On MLB opening day of all days, too. Oh, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, I love it. No, but it's, it's actually – I always say, like – when people say, like, aren't you worried when the Devils play the Penguins? I go, you know, in Pittsburgh, yeah, because it's Pittsburgh. But at Prudential Center, no, they usually lose. And not only do they lose, they, they lose look bad. bad doing it. <laughs> yeah. They lose, like, 5-1, and Matt Murray gets pulled after three goals. <laughs> now, I actually, real quick, I have a question for you guys. Do you believe that Matt Murray will ever be better than what Marc-Andre Fleury did with the Penguins? That's the first question. The other question is simply this. Do you go with Matt Murray or do you go with Jari in the Stanley Cup playoffs? Well, the Murray and Jari debate's been going on and on and on. And I think we are all, I think we are all more on the side of we're going to start Murray and just a quick pull if things go sour because Jari's a guy that can, I'm Jari's sorry, a guy 100%. that can turn around. The team can turn around quickly. And as for his comparison to Flurry, I don't know. That's a hard one to do because. What Flurry meant to this city was – it meant so much, not just on the ice, but off the ice stuff. And, right. and I think because of the situation and how Flurry left, I think it automatically put a bad taste in Murray's mouth and in Pittsburgh fans' mouths of Murray because it was well, – this guy came in and stole the spot from our beloved Flurry. I've always been convinced that, like, it must be hard to be Murray in this situation, just always living in that shadow. He'll never yeah. break out of it because of the situation. It's the, it's like a wrestling thing. The baby face left, meaning the guy that's taking over is automatically the heel, whether he wants to be or not. I was talking to Shane a couple of weeks ago on one of the podcasts, and, and he was telling me that there was apparently this story where a Penguins fan came up to Matt Murray, like, in person and said, no matter what you do, you'll never be as good as Marc-Andre Fleury. And I was like, this dude, like, actually won you two cups. Like, I know Fleury was also part of it. Like, I get that. But 2016, that was all Matt Murray. Yep. 2017, did Murray, you know, Murray came in for yeah. Fleury, who eventually started struggling, and Murray was still really good. So I don't know how people want to, you know, I can understand it because Fleury has, like, that special place in Penguin history and Penguin fans' hearts, but – Matt Murray is very, very good. And the Penguins have probably one of the more younger and talented, in my opinion, goaltending tandems. I personally think that Jari should start kind of like the other way, like you guys were saying, like start him, but be very cautious. You know, maybe play game one. If it doesn't work out, okay, it's like, fine. Put in Matt Murray, let's go. Because the Penguins have really good offense for obvious reasons uh, with the players that they freaking have. Their defense is better than it usually is. That's what I'm saying. Like, I was like, is it bad? No. Is it better than what it's been before? Yes. But, you know, could that be the Achilles heel? Maybe. 
Could Carey Price steal three games? We've already discussed this, and I think there's a very good chance that that could happen. But if you weren't playing Montreal, you'd be playing us. And I like my chances, just saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with, with Marc-Andre Fleury, Matt Murray came in when we were winning. So that's the bar he set. Marc-Andre Fleury came in in that first season was absolutely he going into bankruptcy for like the third or fourth time in your history yeah so the fact that he was here during that i think also you know we we started from the bottom with flurry and then he was there when we reached the pinnacle i think a lot of people also overlook how bad he was in some of those playoffs as well because he has those moments where the lidstrom save of course like how do you forget saving against one of the greatest defensemen of all time in the last second of a game seven. So I think that's really why a lot of people don't give Matt Murray the benefit of the doubt in the city. Now, as far as is game one was, and I, I guess this is coming out before it, it's not as much a fact of, I think Matt Murray should start. It's a fact of ever since training camp 2.0 started, we knew that was going to happen. Jari would have to pull out some miraculous, Andre Vasilevsky type saves in every scenario possible to get past Matt Murray for that starting job, because that's who Mike Sullivan wants to go with. And listen, far be it for me to argue with the guy that balanced the Murray flurry situation. So I trust in him to balance this one too. Yeah. I know. I know you personally have been a big benefactor of like, I'm happy that we have two goaltenders that can both play very solid in net. Like it's, it's such a great feeling as a fan of a team to say, it doesn't matter who we have in net. We're good. Like we're mm. like, we'll be fine. You know, we'll, we'll play well. And one thing that I, I really, that, you know, is kind of interesting to mention about Mike Sullivan is that, you know, he is a John Tortorella disciple. I mean, he did learn a lot from John Tortorella and it didn't surprise me that he's had the success, albeit he has a talented team around him. But I think considering this year, there were some ups and downs. It didn't seem like this was the Penguins team of old, at least in the first half of the year, in my opinion. But second half, you could see, oh, yeah, they're ready. Like, they understand the type of game they want to play. Now we're going to go out and, and, and play it. And, that's, and I think that that's how Mike Sullivan has been. And I think that was one of the best decisions the Penguins have made in their history by, you know, bringing him in as the full-time head coach. Yeah, especially following that tragedy that was hiring Mike Johnston. But we won't have to get into that one. We're going to give you a second or a couple minutes here to plug whatever you have coming up. But before we do that, I do have a very big question for you. And this is coming from me personally. Oh, God. You mentioned very briefly on an episode a couple weeks back that you may be working on another book. Now, can we get the scoop? Who is this one going to be about? And why should it definitely be the New York Yankees? <laughs> Why should it be? Well, first of all, I'm assuming that you guys are Pirates fans. For the most part. I'm a Pirates fan, but I'm also a Yankees fan, which is why I ask. Well, funny for you, I'm actually a Pirates and Yankees fan myself. There so we go. I, I, um, my, um, my dad, big fan of Roberto Clemente. He saw him play when he, was, when he was young, and that's how I became a Pirates fan. And me being me, I just decided to be a fan of whatever teams my dad was. So I actually, uh, I have the score. I think it's like, I think it's 1-1 right now against the Brewers. Hopefully they don't blow it like they did two nights ago. But anyway, no, actually my first book is right here. Uh, J-E-T-S, Pain, Pain, Pain. It's about the pain and suffering of being a Jets fan. I'm not going to write a book about the Yankees because what is there to be? Pain? Well, I like <laughs> to talk about pain because it's a good topic. It uh, gets it gets people's attention. 
writing one of the millions of Yankee books out there is not something that I think would be, I am, okay, I will say this. I am writing a baseball book at the moment. It's about a team that wears the colors blue and orange. Um, I won't mention their name or the title just yet, but I am in the process okay. of writing a book about them. I've already been uh, in the process of figuring out what hockey team I may want to go after. You know, there's a couple, there's a couple out there that I could, I could, you know, go after, but we'll see. So what you're saying is to look out for a Seattle Kraken book coming up by Neil Villapiano. Exactly right. <laughs> you got me. Yes. I, I can't wait for that. I'm, I'm going to be saying it's going to be called Welcome to the Crack House. Yes. <laughs> well, it's definitely already in my shopping cart, Neil. That, that is for sure. But thank you again for coming on. Before we let you go, we do want to give you the platform as we do all of the people that come on. Just let us know what's coming up for you on the Devil State of Mind podcast. Let us know what's coming up for you in, in total and just plug away, man. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, again, thank you guys so much for having me on. Um, you know, I think we've been talking back and forth for, God, a week, a month and change about, like, when are we going to do this? And I'm, I'm happy we could finally do it. I would definitely love to have one of you guys jump on Devil's State of Mind, you know, sometime soon to uh, talk about, you know, the Penguins and obviously, you know, the same thing that we were doing here. So uh, I'll definitely uh, let you guys know about that. But, yeah, you can check out uh, the Devil's State of Mind Twitter account at Devil's State. We have an Instagram at Devil's State of Mind, and we have a Facebook page where you can stay up to date with the new episodes that we post every single Monday, like everyone else here on the Hockey Podcast Network. I have a personal Twitter, like you mentioned, T-H-E-N-V-P-S-H-O-W, and a personal Instagram, N-V-P-Q-B-11. I have my own uh, sports podcast called Mofobo Network Podcast. We talk about all things going on in the wide world of sports. Um, it's on. It's available on Anchor and Spotify. So go, just search my name, Neil Villapiano, or Mofobo Network, and you will find it. Um, by the way, it's two nothing Milwaukee over the Pirates after three innings. Yikes. Just wanted to, just wanted to tell you that. Anyway, um, so yeah, I also have uh, a YouTube channel called Mofobo Network Presents. I actually just posted a new video, maybe an hour ago, talking about the Jamal Adams trade. Uh, from the Jets to the Seahawks, uh, pretty much read this book and you'll know how I feel about it. Anyway, um, you know, you can check out Mofobo Network Presents on YouTube, where I post a weekly video just like the podcast. We have a Facebook page, just like the uh, Devil's State of Mind, where you can stay up to date with the new podcast and YouTube episodes that we post every single week. And last but certainly not least, like I mentioned, go check out my book on Amazon.com. J-E-T-S, pain, pain, pain. The agony and the ecstasy, nah, no ecstasy of being a Jets fan. So if you're a Jets fan, a football fan, if you know someone who's one of those, or if you just want to support me, it's on sale right now on Amazon for hardcover and ebook for the price of $19.69. And if you're a Jets fan, you probably figured out why I chose that price. So, uh, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much my, as Bayou likes to call it, paragraph and a half outro well, that's more of a five-page essay but i love to hear all of it every single time yeah and uh as far as you know talking about devil state of mind uh there's a chance you might have one of the uh one of the vegas boys jumping on this weekend uh talking about vegas and particularly shea theodore who i would give everything and anything to acquire and have him come <laughs> to jersey because he is a norris trophy defenseman in the making in my opinion have that uh i've been talking to a couple uh 
guests. We've already had some really good guests on the podcast, a lot of really good things to talk about, even in this situation with, in Devil's World, not much going on. Uh, but still, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and definitely go check it out. And I would, love to, uh, I would love to have one of you guys on, you know, relatively soon to talk some, a little bit of hockey in general, Penguins hockey and everything in between. But uh, yeah, again, thank you guys so much for having me on today. Well, you say when and where, and we'll definitely be there. So everybody, please go check out Neil Villapiano on everything that he just mentioned. I won't go down through it again because we know everybody has to get back to their days. But Neil, one more time, just we appreciate you coming on, man. And I can't wait to the next time we talk. Yeah, I hope the next time we talk, we talk about how the Penguins lost in three straight to the Canadians and didn't get the first <laughs> overall pick. That's that, That'll be the... Okay, maybe I'm not looking forward to it then. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Yeah. yeah, but no, again, yeah, I, I'm, I'll, I'll def, I'm here. I'm, I'm ready whenever you need me. Sounds good, man. Thank you. Of course. Thank you goes out to Neil Villapiano for joining us on episode 70 of the Tip of the Iceberg. And realistically, making sure we're not talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins losing a, a game one for over an hour. That really yeah. that really hampered us from saying, uh, let's just talk about the Penguins for an hour, which was nice. And it was nice to sit there and talk a little bit about the New Jersey Devils, the only Metropolitan Division team to not make the 2014 playoffs. Sorry, Neil. Had to bring that one That's... up. Didn't bring it up when we were talking. No, no, so. I didn't even realize that. Good, fun, long interview. It's nice interviewing guys when they're able to have conversations like that. I mean... Oh, yeah. He's a talker, and I love yeah. every second of it. Yeah, he's good. He knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing. He's passionate about his teams. We can see that come out pretty clearly, and there's nothing wrong with that. No. I mean, if you go to any of the podcasts on this network, the people that are covering that are very passionate. They might not even be or were fans of that team whenever they started. I mean, look at, look at Isha Jerome. He's very wide about the fact that before he started the Soda Pod, he's a Canucks fan. He's from Vancouver Island, mm -hmm. but he is a massive. He's probably one of the biggest Minnesota Wild fans I've ever seen now. Yeah. So the fact that he just loves that that much, that team, it's what this network is about. So go check out the Soda Pod, which we were actually on this week, just a, a last-minute jump-on segment. Yeah. So go check those guys out. Go check out every podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. But we have a couple more things to do here before we let you guys go this week. Last week's Pens Poll, it was prediction time. How do you see this series playing out? Let us know why below. This is the first time any of our polls has had all votes on all four, I believe. All right. All right. So it, it was nice to see that. Of course, the winner was Pens in four. For that to happen, as of right now, the Pens are going to need to win the next three games. The 11% that said Pens in three... Sorry, you're already wrong. Well, yeah. But 52% said pens in four, 33% said pens in five, and 4% said the Habs would win the series. Just at all. So, after seeing that, and after seeing game one, I know our predictions were, you said pens in four, I said pens in five initially. Do you change your, your thought process after game one? Uh, no, let me come back to you after game two. <laughs> because it won't have to change at that point. But... A lot of people said Pens and Four. Everyone we talked to said Pens and Four. It seemed like the general consensus among Pens Twitter. Yeah. Everybody said Pens and Four, so, except for me. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think. And Hoppy actually went with Pens and Five too. I do have to yeah. give him credit for that. I don't think a lot of people would have thought it'd be that game that would have been the loss. But here we are, and most people said Pens and Four. Now we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, I said Pens and Five, and I said they'd lose on Crosby's birthday. So for that to hold true. We need a Game 2 win later on tonight and a Game 3 win on Wednesday. So it's going to be interesting to see what that happens with that. 
Everybody go check out our Pens Pool every week. We, of course, discuss it in the second half of our episode. So that was that Pens Pool. We have one more segment to go. It's a brand new segment. I'm very excited about this segment because I think it's a chance for us to get a little more creative <laughs> in who we're either making fun of or commending. It's called shout-outs and call-outs. And what we're going to do, obviously, shout-out one player and or team and or person and or anything Thing. and call-out yeah. the other one for this past week. And, of course, we're probably going to be centric around the return to play. So call-out. Horwat, who, who are you calling out this week? Whoever ran the sound during the exhibition games, whoever ran in the crowd noise thing, I don't know if it was the NHL, NBC, CBS. CB, Not CBS. CBC. CBC. <laughs> whoever had the main function on that, there were two times they were trying to do a moment of silence. And how easy is that in an empty arena to do, right? No, you're pumping in crowd noise. <laughs> for Eddie Shack and Colby Cave, there was pumped in crowd noise during a lengthy moment of silence for Colby Cave. Oh, that just irked me and a lot of people, I think. But, I mean, because you figure it's your easiest job, a moment of silence in an empty arena. Yeah. You want to really get people's, like, chills going? That's it. Don't pump shit in. That's all I got to say. Yeah, that, that seemed like an... <laughs> That seemed like a little bit of an oversight mm-hmm. on the NHL's part. I get they're trying to go for a natural feel, and that's what it probably would have sounded like, maybe. The Colby Cave one, no, wouldn't have sounded like that at all. That one would have been dead silent. But just brutal having even the slightest bit of shouting at all. Yeah. My call-out this week, and I talked about him a little bit earlier when we were talking about Penn Sabs Game 1. My call-out goes to Brian Dumlin. I'm calling him out yeah. on that turnover. Because even though it doesn't happen very often, there this is not the time to start doing that. I mean, it was horrendous, to be completely honest. And I get that it's a small mistake, but small mistakes like that can be the difference in the playoffs, especially when it's a five-game series. So my call-out this week goes to Brian Dumlin. I don't foresee me calling out Brian Dumlin no. very often in this segment, but he gets my inaugural call-out. An honorable mention goes out to Mike Mulberry because <laughs> he is... The worst color commentator in broadcast history. So he doesn't officially get it, but he's he's definitely on the list if oh, he keeps know, acting like a dumbass. Bad. Yeah. So we'll, we'll move over to the well, the positives. We'll finish on a positive, finish strong, and that's the shout out. I'm gonna start off this one, and I'll have mm-hmm. you you round it out. I'm gonna shout out the NHL completely. Yep. Because they had zero positive coronavirus tests through all of phase three. And all of Phase 4. So that's the way that they're doing this. And we mentioned a lot in the lead up to this. If you're not going to do it right, don't do it. Don't put these guys' lives in danger unless you're ready to do it the right way. And I feel like so far, they've done it the right way. Like I said, no positive tests in Phase 3. None so far in Phase 4. So fingers crossed that that continues. But shout out to the NHL for actually doing this correctly. And I'll be honest, dude. Some of the pictures and videos I'm seeing from inside the bubble look sweet. I wouldn't be mad at... I mean... I get that I get they want to be with their families and everything, but I mean, dude, while you're there, enjoy it, right? I mean, it's a hell of a consolation like a to be time. where you're at. Yeah, like you're there playing hockey, you're playing in the playoffs, you're playing for the greatest prize in the sport. You're away from your family, yeah, and that hurts. But I mean, the NHL and their teams have really accommodated them pretty well. And the way I saw it, I think I mentioned it to you or someone in that. I mean, how many of these? guys you know played hockey growing up on that had to travel and were in a hotel for maybe a week at the most Mm -hmm. yeah it's not a week hey for eight teams it is only going to be a week yeah so for the most part you're thinking i mean it's kind of old school again you're in the hotel at all times because i mean some teams may have had a more strict coach that said you're not going out Mm -hmm. 
I don't know, I didn't play ice hockey, but I get that feel of it's almost like peewee hockey again. But I'm going to shout out uh, the Calgary Flames for making me eat my words, every little <laughs> bit of them. For my first question, every time the Flames go into playoffs this now is, who's in net? Because it should be Dave Riddich. Who is it not? Dave Riddich. Who's winning their game anyway? The Flames. Yeah, they did something the Penguins didn't do, and that was win game one. One big. One yeah. Huge. And it, here's the thing, I'm not mad at the Flames. I like the Flames. I wish they were really, I wish they were a better team. Apparently look like one now. But Mike Smith in net, right? Correct? Or he's in Edmonton. Cam Talbot. Cam Talbot in net, even worse. I, hey, screw it. If it's getting you wins. But my thought is, I mean, yeah, make, just, you're just making me eat my words. Way to go. Cheers to you. <laughs> yeah, Mike Smith got torched for the Oilers on, on day oh, one. yeah, he did. I mean, that's going to do it for this episode yeah. of the Tip of the Iceberg. Don't forget to check out our sponsors at manscaped.com. You can use code THPN for 20% off and free shipping. You can get products like the Lawn Mower 3.0. You can also check out coolhockey.com slash THPN for your official NHL jerseys. Use code THPN for 30% off. Again, that is coolhockey.com slash THPN. But like I said, that is it. You can follow us on Twitter at NickHorrot41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. Check out the giveaway that we're doing for the rest of the week, we will be selecting a winner on 8-7, Sidney Crosby's birthday. Hopefully there's a game that day. But game that day. <laughs> like I said, check that out. It is our pinned tweet. If you want a signed Tristan Jari Puck, get yourself a chance at that. If you want to, hell, argue in our comments about how we should be starting. We'd love the recognition. The conversation. The, the, the conversation, the spread of maybe more people seeing a tweet and entering the contest. Let's, let's get some Yeah, we're excited to this. give this away. Get your chance to do this. We're excited to send this to somebody. We want to see somebody, somebody win it. Our podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe to us and rate us on Apple Podcasts, even in the rating, and leaving a comment. Who do you think we should start next game? Leave that as a review. That's that's fine as got. well. Do what you got to do. Rate it 3.5. Okay, don't do that. No, 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 no. Five, the five stars only, please. They <laughs> put the three in the parentheses and only you see it and then 5.0 stars. Yes, yeah, that's that, fine. There we go. Like he said, five stars only. But we're brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. Every team, everywhere, exhale, Pens fans. It's only one game. Exhale, Berlansky. Thank you. (laughs)